Good morning. So just over a month ago, we said our goodbyes, we packed up our suitcases, we gave away our stuff, but surprise, we're still here. Um, we actually had some ups and downs the past month. I think Pastor Trevor's series has been quite fitting for us. We had sent our passports to the Cambodian embassy located in Washington, D.C. And we didn't see, we were tracking them with the U.S. Postal Service. We didn't see them coming back, didn't see them coming back. So we finally called them and talked to them and they said, hmm, can you send us that tracking information because we don't have your passports. So we gave that to them and they did an investigation where they tried to find our passports and ultimately they did not find our passports. So um, they um, mentioned to us that they would advise that we postpone our trip. So we waited until the last minute. They told that, us that um, I think on a Monday or Tuesday, we waited and until Saturday, we were scheduled to depart on the 14th, which was a Monday. So we waited to the last minute, we canceled our tickets, rescheduled, but we were still hopeful thinking maybe they would find our passports and we would just be delayed a couple weeks. So they still didn't find our passports. Um, and we finally had to make the decision to go to plan B, which is to renew all of our passports. So we have that finally going. All of the US passports are sent out. It takes four to six weeks. Manasa actually had to go all the way to Washington DC to the Fijian embassy there. Um, so he did that and came back within a matter of three or four days. So his passport is on the way to Fiji to be re to have a passport and then it comes all the way back to Washington DC and then finally to us. So we expect after four to seven weeks we'll finally have our passport and then we have to start the process over again with the embassy in Washington, Cambodia embassy. So that'll take at least another two weeks and then once that's confirmed and we have our passports in hand we'll be able to book our tickets and head to Cambodia. So um, the Cambodian people um, that we were looking to work with and the people at the YWAM staff there have been super supportive of us, just reminding us that they're ready for us whenever we're able to get there. In the meantime, we're trying to look for opportunities for what can we do in the meantime, what can we do with this delay and make the most out of it. Um, our suitcases are still packed, and so we are living on the, the few clothes that we kept, and um, I think it's a good experience, though. I know the kids are kind of waiting for, are the passports here yet, are the passports here yet? Um, but we are appreciating what we can. Some people have asked us, how does the Ukraine incident affect us as we travel back to Southeast Asia? Right now, we don't foresee it affecting what we're doing either in Myanmar or in Cambodia. The only thing would be obviously if it escalates and then we would have you know, dif difficulty with transportation and things like that. Um, so we are keeping them in our prayers. We do have a YWAM team there. We don't know anyone individually, but we know that the YWAM, there's quite a few YWAM staff that are staying in the Ukraine. So they are providing, especially for um, women and children, things like diapers and food. They have um, vans that are doing uh, weekly transportation, trying to get more people out of the country. So if you can be keeping the YWAM team there in your prayers, they look exhausted. And so I'm sure they are physically and probably emotionally quite exhausted. Um, in Myanmar, things remain the same. There are some people going back to Myanmar with a 10-day quarantine, but we are glad to see that the government is letting some people back in. Um, there is still battle, are still battles going on. I know this last week, two of the villages were bombed. And so um, the daily grind continues, but it's been difficult. One of their latest prayer requests is they've had more electricity cuts. So they go without electricity for six to eight hours during the day. They don't know when that will be. And so that's 
that's been quite frustrating. Even when there's an electricity cut, that means they lose their access to internet as well. So if you could continue to be praying for them, our strong hand team and our deaf friends are doing well. We're thankful for that. The Omicron virus has come through Myanmar and some of our staff members have gotten sick, but fortunately it's just been a mild cases. And so we're very um, thankful for that, that God is keeping our team healthy. So thank you for remembering us. We will be keeping you updated once we have new dates to go to Cambodia. So our plan hasn't changed. It's just been delayed. So we thank you for your support. Can we pray for them for just a second? Father, we do come before you, and we just thank you for Alyssa and Manasseh and their faithfulness to you. Lord, I know that these past several years have been uh, probably not what they hoped for or not what they expected, but Lord, we're grateful for how they have looked to you and remained faithful to you during this time. Lord, we do lift up the opportunity for them to go to Cambodia. We continue to trust in your providence and your sovereignty. And Lord, at the right time, we pray that the passports will come, uh, that the tickets will be purchased, and that they will have an opportunity to go and minister. But Lord, also thank you for the manner of how it's taught us all as we've watched them to trust in your timing and in your provision. Lord, may that be an example to us as we look to you in some of the things that we might be looking for or hoping for in our own individual lives. Father, at the time that they do go, we ask that you would go before them. Even now, we pray that you would be preparing whatever it is that you will be doing through them, uh, that you will move in the hearts of the people. We do lift up the people uh, in YWAM, not only in Cambodia, but we pray for those that are moving into Myanmar. Uh, and as Alyssa has said, we do pray for those that are in the Ukraine as well. Lord, uh, give them strength. Give them a supernatural uh, act of rest and encouragement and courage during this time. And as we have asked, Lord, use them. Uh, again, uh, what the enemy is, is using for evil, we pray that you would use for good. And that in this, Lord, remind us indeed that as you have said, you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that your plan, which is the bringing of your church, is coming to fruition. And so may that bring hope, rest, joy, peace, and comfort to our hearts as we continue to look to you. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it all by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And once again, all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thanks. Well, good morning again. I'm going to start off with our question today, and that is simply this. Why does God delay when I or we face opposition for my or our faith in Christ? I want to take a moment. I just want to ask, has anybody experienced opposition? I've seen some hands go up before. I see a few hands here and there. None of you have experienced opposition? Are we telling people about Jesus? How many of you have experienced elongated opposition? Something maybe that's not a week, not two weeks, but an extended period of time. See a few hands there. What has that done to your faith? Has it grown it? Has it encouraged it? Has it challenged it? Has it maybe caused you to begin to doubt what God is doing 
One of the things that I think is important for us to look at as we go through the book of Ezra is to see God's faithfulness over an extended period of time. However, also as we travel through the book of Ezra to see the tumultuous nature of what happened to the people of God over an extended period of time. We've been traveling through this series for the past several weeks, and we are moving essentially toward the next portion or the next phase in this book. The first six chapters essentially are discussing about what Ezra does to read or tell about the people of God coming back from exile and rebuilding the temple to bring glory to God. But then afterwards, the next part of the book, chapter 7 through the end of the book, really discuss Ezra's desire to bring back the people of God to a deeper reverence or a deeper awe of the Mosaic Law, or in the people of God's case, the Holy Scriptures. And one of the things that I want to encourage us in is this. Oftentimes, God will bring about elongated opposition for a variety of different purposes. But one of those purposes is to draw our hearts to a deeper sense of awe, reverence, and fear for His Holy Word. A deeper hunger for the Bible. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a look at a particular part in chapter 6 that I think will help us to see why God delays and also the reasons as to why He delays when we might face opposition for our faith in Christ. Again, we've been going through this book. We recognize that the people of God were sent into exile as prophesied by Isaiah and Jeremiah years before it actually occurred. These prophets came forward and said, the people of God, you're not spending time with him. You're bringing about idol worship. You're taking a little bit of God and a whole lot of the world, and God is upset with you because of this. And then these prophets come forward and say, if this continues, God is going to judge you, and he's going to judge you in the following manner. He's going to bring about a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar through the Babylonian army, and he is going to break up the people of God and destroy the temple of which you worship in. And the people of God, as we've said before, listen and they correct themselves. No, the people of God look and they blow these two prophets off. We don't know what you're talking about. It's not going to happen. There's no way that God would do this. So the people of God continue in their act of idol worship, and then sure enough, lo and behold, an interesting thing happens. A guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar becomes king of the Babylonian army. And the next thing you know is the Babylonians come forward, and they essentially invade the nation of Israel. They remove the people from their homes, and they send them into exile. And the peace de resistance is that they destroy the temple of where the people of God worship. Now, interestingly enough, Jeremiah says that what's going to happen is, is this period is going to last for 70 years. And you would think that the people of God would listen and would hear. So the people of God are sent into exile, but also, Jeremiah says, as well as Isaiah, after a period of around 70 years, I'm going to bring about another army. And that army is going to take over the Babylonians for the sins that they have committed. 
And as that army takes over the Babylonian army, I am going to bring you back to your land. I'm going to reestablish you. And you'd think again that the people of God would say, oh, okay, well, we get it. Do they? No. But sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar comes, takes over, sends the people into exile, and then another kingdom becomes stronger, the Medo-Persian kingdom, under the leadership of a gentleman by the name of King Cyrus, who, interestingly enough, Isaiah names hundreds of years before he's even born. King Cyrus comes forward, conquers the Babylonian army, and sends the people of God back to their homeland to reestablish and rebuild. He brings about a decree and says, you are to rebuild your temple, you can do so. And the people of God are excited, and they begin work. As we've seen, they begin work with rebuilding the altar. They focus primarily first on their act of worship before they worry about the peripheries. And friends, I can't stress that enough. Lovingly, I think, particularly, the church in America is so concerned right now about the peripheral rather than the fundamental. Get back to just worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his word. They rebuild the altar and they move forward to rebuilding the temple. And sure enough, as they do, the next thing you know, individuals come forward and they say, hey, let us help you with that. We've got people, we've got goods, we've got intuition, we've got finances. We can help you rebuild this temple and what will take you this period of time will only take you this period of time. It sounds good, doesn't it? More people, more help, things will get quicker, we'll raise the temple sooner, we'll get back to worshiping God sooner. But the only problem is, is the people who come forward that want to help with the rebuilding of the temple are those who previously were the ones that brought about idol worship. Their heart wasn't for God, their heart was for themselves. And so interestingly enough, the people of God turn to these individuals and rather than saying, sure, come join in, they say, no, thank you. We're going to do this on our own. King Cyrus has told us to do so when you have no part in this. And interesting enough, because the people of God say this, you would think that all would go smoothly. But what we discover, as we've said before, is the moment that you take a bold step for God and want to honor Him through what He has said, the enemy is right behind and brings about opposition. So these individuals go forward and they begin bringing about all kinds of schemes to try to rot the movement forward of the building of the temple. They send a letter off to the powers that be saying that the people of God are there and that their real idea is to destroy the kingdom that they only live for themselves. And interestingly enough, what do the people of God do? They just tell the truth. They write a letter and they say, this is what we've been told to do and this is what we're doing. And we believe in faith that you will find the decree made by Cyrus that says that we're doing exactly what we've been told to do. 
Interestingly enough, we put emphasis on that because the people of God don't try to rectify the situation through other means. They don't try to bribe the kingdom. They don't try to move forward and put a little bit of God and a whole lot of themselves in it. But in faith, they walk with what they've been told to do. And sure enough, they send this letter off to the new now king, Darius, and Darius does an investigation. Now remember the faith and trust that this takes, because Darius doesn't have to do an investigation. Darius could do sort of a half-hearted investigation. Darius could do a truthful investigation, discover the truth, but for his own political power, twist it to his own advantage. But what we discovered is that Darius, as much as the world thinks is the one that's in control, God sovereignly is controlling all things from above. And so through Darius, the discovery of the decree of Cyrus is found. And Darius then says, okay, people of God, you can do this on your own. You are to do this on your own. But what we also discovered was that God, in being faithful uh, to him, always blesses people's faithfulness. He says, not only will you do this on your own, but I'm going to bless you. We're going to do it swiftly. We're going to have other means financially provided to you. And we're going to take care of what needs to happen. And so all of the concerns that were there are answered immediately by God. And God moves quickly. And so now we get to the point that the letter has been sent and received. And what happens next? That's where we find ourselves today. And so the first thing that I want to show you when we ask this question, why does God delay when I face opposition for my faith in Christ, is this. God often delays his timing and allows us to endure opposition to increase our faith. And I put essentially Ezra chapter 1 through 612. Now, I could put <laughs> essentially 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles all the way up to this point, And then all the way up to the end of the Bible and where we are today. But the reason that I want to encourage you in this is that often behind the scenes when we have opposition and it goes on and on and on is that it's an opportunity for us to have our faith either be destroyed or to be increased. I want to ask a question of those of you that have faced either a challenging time or opposition for your faith in Christ when it continued beyond a day, beyond a week, beyond a month. What happened to your faith? Was it increased? One of the things that I find of some of the most joyous people in their relationship with Christ are those that have gone through gut-wrenching opposition for their faith in Christ. Whether it's a challenge with health, whether it's a challenge of a business, whether it's a challenge of a relationship, whether it's a challenge of a child, but those individuals that have endured the challenge but have sort of turned or curved into God are the ones that bring about such a joyous testimony. Friends, lovingly, I'm going to tell you, it's easy to follow Jesus when life is good. 
it's really hard to follow him when life is falling apart all around you. But Christ died for such the occasion. Friends, that's where we find the power of Christ in our lives. When our lives are no longer our lives, and our lives and our plans are falling apart, but God's plan is coming to fruition. And friends, that's what I want to encourage you with. I think through this, through this time, God at any point could easily say, we're going to send this letter, we're going to make it happen. But he delays for an extended period of time, not only as the people are sent to exile, but afterwards. We think about the fact that these people have been in exile and all of a sudden they hear about the decree from Cyrus and they start heading back home. Cyrus has said, we can rebuild the temple. It's all going to be good. We all have what we need. We've finally gotten the answer that we want. We're now home. And then what? Greater opposition. God, what are you doing? You sent us away. You now sent us home. You said we could rebuild. We've been faithful to you. We said we're going to do it on our own. And now that we've done it on our own, not only did these people come forward, but as we discover in the book of Ezra, this small group, the Samaritans who wanted to help, who we rejected, have now gone to other people, and everybody's mad at us. And now Cyrus is gone. The decree is over. Cambyses is king. And we don't know what he's doing. And now Cambyses is gone and Darius is the king. And it's been years since we were faithful to you. And we've increased or seen increased opposition to us just simply wanting to bring about worship for you. Where are you? The letter is sent and it's received and God answers in a great way in his time and in his place. Then because of the decree King Darius had sent, Tatnai, governor of the trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bozani and their associates carried it out with diligence. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of this house of God, they offered a hundred bulls, two hundred rams, four hundred male lambs, and uh, as sin offerings for all Israel, twelve male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. Friends, as we've seen before, God often delays his timing and allows us to endure opposition to increase our faith. But then also what we see is when God moves, great things begin to happen. In verse 13, that's what I want to show you. When God moves, he moves clearly and concretely as he demonstrates his faithfulness to us. I want to ask some of you, when you have seen opposition or gone through something challenging, how many of you can point to a clear time when God moved, 
when you saw him and you knew what was going on. Friends, it's those moments when we wonder where God is and what he's going to do when God is primed to move. Now, please hear me. I don't want you to try to manipulate God if you're going through something hard by saying, okay, well, if I just kind of maybe let it go a little bit more, then maybe God will move tomorrow. God moves in his time and in his place when he's ready to move. But I promise you that when he does, he moves clearly and concretely to demonstrate that he is in control. We see in verse 13, Then because of the decree of King Darius had sent, Tatnai, governor of the trans-Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozani, and their all associates, carried it out, and don't miss this, with diligence. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the fact that it was one thing for Darius to find the decree. It was a whole other thing for him to agree with the decree. It was a whole other thing for him not to just agree with the decree, but to help the people of God in accomplishing what they were going to do. But it was also another thing for him to say, get it done quickly. Get it done with diligence. Now, we look and we say, well, that's Darius, but we need to be reminded that the one who's behind the scenes controlling it all is God. And we see here that they're moving and they're beginning to get it done after some 15 to 22 years of opposition. When God moves, he moves. Clearly and concretely. The decree is found. It is stated by Darius. It is said to the people, this is what's to occur. This is what's to happen. And it's to happen quickly. So friends, what I want to tell you is be encouraged. Because when God moves, he can move clearly and concretely to demonstrate his faithfulness to us. But then also, as we go into verse 14, what I want to show you is this, that as God's people, we prosper through the encouragement, correction, and conviction of his word. I've said before why I love the book of Ezra is that its kind of fingers are everywhere. Now, each book obviously has its fingers into the story of the gospel. But as we look at the book of Ezra, we see it moving back to First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, but we also see its hand in the, in the uh, prophets of old. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Jeremiah. We're going to see it in, as we see, the contemporary prophets that are mentioned. I believe, I don't want to steal anyone's thunder, but I believe next week we have a guest speaker who will actually be speaking potentially about one of those prophets to help us understand what's going on. And so, as we look at verse 14, it says, So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under what? How do they prosper? Under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. Friends, what I would encourage you to do is, is to go and read Zechariah and Haggai. Because what they're speaking about is exactly what's concurring in this book of Ezra. But the point that I'm making is that those two prophets, as they preach, encourage the people of God to continue in the work that they're doing. For us, friends, I think it's important that we can prosper through the encouragement, correction, and conviction of his word. Why do I say that? Because... 
when I come forward to preach, when I stand in this pulpit, or when someone else stands in this pulpit, what I want to tell you is this, is lovingly, if only you are encouraged, something's wrong. Now, I love to encourage you. I love those messages, the feel-good ones, where it's Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that we all leave here warm and fuzzy. But if we always only leave here warm and fuzzy, something's wrong. Friends, we're also called to be corrected. We're called to be corrected in our thinking. We're called to be corrected in our living. We're called to be corrected in our self-desire. Because being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't about yourself, it's about the kingdom. It's about our Lord and Savior Jesus. And friends, we're also called to be convicted. Sometimes, lovingly, when something comes from the pulpit and it convicts your heart, before you get mad at the pastor, go back and ask and say, God, is this something that I really need to look at because you're convicting me of a way that I'm living my life that's apart from you? And if not, and you want to be mad at the pastor, then come back and you can be mad at me. That's okay. But one of the things that I think is important is to recognize that often conviction leads to correction, which then leads to obedience, which leads to greater faithfulness, which leads to a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in those moments that we discover the loving correction of our Savior to draw us closer to Him so that we might reflect His image more greatly. And so as we look and as we see, what I'm going to tell you is out of love, God is using these prophets, Zechariah and Haggai, to encourage the people in the work of God. But what I'm going to tell you is read Zechariah and Haggai, and I promise you that the message that they give is not just Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's hey, wake up, people. You've been living for yourselves. You've been desiring your own thing. You've been using Jesus, or in this instance, Yahweh, as a crutch. You've been taking a little bit of God and a whole lot of the world, and that is why you're in the situation that you are in. Come to me and me alone, and I will and am faithful to you, and I will prosper you as you look to me in your living. I don't know about you, but as I read Zechariah and Haggai, I see a lot of encouragement, but I also see a lot of correction, and I prayerfully see a lot of conviction. And so oftentimes, when we look at this, what we see directly from what Ezra is saying is that they finished the building of the temple, but they have been encouraged and prospered under the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah. And so friends, oftentimes, teaching, preaching of the word, studying of the word, is meant to encourage, convict, and correct us in how we go about living our lives. The next thing that I want us to see as we look through and wonder why we might face opposition or a delay in the answer that we want from God is this. In verse 15, we see this, that God wants us to remember that we can rely upon Him to keep 100% of the promises that He has made. Friends, when God makes a promise, He keeps it. 
Because God, in his character, cannot make a promise that he does not intend to keep. We look, and what I want to show you is this. Verse 15, the temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. That doesn't mean much to us. But I find it interesting. I find it almost providential. The month of Adar actually in our calendar is February and March. It's right now. (laughs) Now, in that, I find it interesting that this is when they move forward and they complete the building of the temple. Right in and around now, right before Passover, right before the people of God celebrate the time that God delivered them out of Egypt. So, why is this important? Why am I saying that he keeps 100% of the promises that he has made? Well, for us, great, it's a timeline where what, who's Adar, what's Adar, and why does this matter, and who's Darius, and why isn't it his sixth year, and what does that mean? Well, let's go back. Because if we go back, we see God's hand in his timing, keeping his promises. To do that, I want to take you to the text of Jeremiah. Now, I'm going to read the text and then I'm going to give essentially the context as to what's going on here. In Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12, it says this, This whole nation will become a desolate wasteland. Israel, you people, okay? That's what's being said. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Okay, that's the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, who comes and destroys the people of God because of their disobedience. But, when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation in the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. Now, if you want the full context in there, I encourage you just to read all of Jeremiah 25. Okay? That's a prophecy that's being made. Why is that important? Well, this is where we get. Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12. So, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet in 627 B.C., approximately. He prophesied for over 40 years. Now... What we're seeing in the text of Ezra was that the temple, as we hear, that it was completed in the month of Adar, in the sixth year of reign of Darius, was completed in 515 B.C. Seventy years after God's people were taken into exile by the Babylonian army under King Nebuchadnezzar, which history dates in and around 586 to 585 B.C. God keeps his promises. Hundreds of years before it occurs, God says, you're going to be sent into exile. I'm going to have Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, come and destroy you. And for 70 years, I'm going to keep you out of your land. But after 70 years, I will bring you back, and I will bring you back to me. And interestingly enough, it occurs, and in the interim, the people of God experience great hardship, great challenge, great difficulty. And I wonder often how many people look back to the promise that Jeremiah made with faith and trust that God will do what he said he will do. 
And the people of God begin to build the altar and build the temple, and they are exposed to even greater opposition, and they wonder where God is. And as God said, he shows up in the time and in the manner of how he said he will. And friends, fast forward to the Messiah. God shows up in the manner and in the time of the way he said he will. Jesus comes about, he's born, he teaches, he preaches, he brings about his ministry, he goes to the cross, and everybody on a worldly level looks and says, where are you, God? This is the biggest travesty of all. I've said time and time again, you want to destroy a kingdom, kill its king. Jesus is hung on a cross, and he dies upon it, and everybody looks around and says, well, that was the biggest mess up in history I've ever seen. But what people forget is that hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Isaiah says, I will destroy your son, my son, and I will raise him up to bring about life to the people of God. And we celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Jesus because what God says he will do, he did, and what God has said he will do, he has done. And friends, now we look forward and we say, God, where are you? We wonder what's going on. We become concerned for what's happening in the world. We hear about Myanmar, the Ukraine. We hear about these events. We've experienced COVID. And we say, God, where are you? What are you doing? And God has said, what? I will send my son to collect his bride, the church. When I am ready. Friends, if we see the promise of God fulfilled here in the text of Ezra, if we see the promise of God fulfilled in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, why would we doubt? Why would we become concerned and worried about the promise that God has made, saying, I will come again, and this time I will come again as the victorious warrior? And I will collect my bride, the church, and the church will be with me in my kingdom throughout eternity. Why do we doubt? Why do we wonder? Why do we worry? Friends, lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. Yes, as I look at the world, I'll be 100% real with you. I am concerned. But one of the things that God convicts me of is, are you more concerned about what's going on in the world or are you more excited about what I'm doing to bring about my kingdom to the world as I've promised to do so, as I've said so in Scripture? So friends, as things potentially get worse, as things potentially get more challenging, as the world that we know potentially begins to fall apart, may we be rejoiceful and loving and say the kingdom is coming. Now, I don't want to scare you I'm not one of those that wants to stand in the pulpit and say, oh, the kingdom is coming today, so repent. It might be. It may come today. It may come 100 years from now. It may come 1,000 years from now. But I want to tell you with certainty that the kingdom is coming. 
And so as we go through challenges, as things happen, as we hear wars and rumors of wars, as we hear about the travesties that are around us, friends, let's not become afraid. Let's become emboldened to go out and lovingly tell people about the promise that we have been given in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because when God makes a promise, he keeps it 100% of the time. We look, and in verse 15, interestingly enough, and the reason that this is stated is to demonstrate the faithfulness of God. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius. And as people look back and they look and track through history, they can see that God is answering prophecy as he said he would. And then the next thing is, is this. God wants us to celebrate with joy when he overcomes the obstacles due to our faithfulness to him. Then the people of Israel, verse 16, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. Friends, what I want to ask is, when God has overcome an obstacle in your life, do you celebrate with joy? Or do you just say, you know, thanks God for getting me through that? Or do you even thank Him for getting you through that? Friends, one of the greatest testimonies that I see out there is when people go to other people who have been hurting and struggling and say, this is what I went through. This is the hardship that God took me through. But this is the faithfulness of God that I saw through this hardship and how God led me in my life. Lovingly, I'm going to tell you, that's way more impactful than going to somebody and saying, you need to come to Jesus. That's impactful. But when somebody goes and says, you know what? God faithfully took me through or us through this and this is what we saw and this is what God did. It emboldens fellow believers but it also demonstrates to those who are not believers that there's way more to this God thing than just coming to church on a Sunday and sitting and looking at some screen. That it's real. That God is there. And that you have a relationship with him. And you trust him. And a deeper faith with him. And that's what speaks to people and says, there's something about this God that I want to know. God wants us to celebrate with joy when he overcomes obstacles due to our faithfulness to him. They continue on and it says, For the dedication of this house of God, they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 male lambs, and a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, one for each of the tribes of Israel. It's interesting because if you look at the sacrifices that are made here, the offerings that are given, they pale in comparison to the offerings that were given at the first temple. But what I love about this is notice how earlier in the text, when they were rebuilding, there were people that were excited, but there were others that were saying, oh, it's not as grand as it once was. It's not as great as what it would be. Woe is us. We're never going to get there. There's no mention of that here. 
And I suspect, I suspect that perhaps through this time that the people of God saw the faithfulness of God and endured the opposition. And when they celebrated here, even though it was meager compared to what was celebrated before, the people of God finally got it. They were joyous because they knew God was faithful to them. And the external wasn't overwritten by the eternal. The promise was what brought joy, not the amount of the offering. God wants us to celebrate with joy. When he overcomes the obstacles, do it our faithfulness to him. And then finally, friends, in verse 18, God wants us to continue to honor his word and the promise that he's made to us. We, we look, and right in verse 18 it says, And they installed the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the entire service of God at Jerusalem, according to what is written in the book of Moses. The book of Moses is the Holy Scriptures. It's what the people of God have at this time. It's their Bible. The Bible that we have today, obviously, is larger. It culminates with the New Testament. It is the entire story of the Messiah. But what's going on here is the people of God are wanting to return to the Word of God and be faithful to it. Right here is the clue to the next several chapters. As we get into chapter 7 and beyond, Ezra's focus is to return the people of God to a deeper awe and reverence to the Bible, the book of Moses in his day. So friends, what I want us to tell you is, is not only in opposition might we experience it for an elongated period of time, but perhaps what God is doing there is he's asking us to continue to honor his word and the promises that he's made to us. Do we stand faithful? Do we look to his word? Do we utilize his word for our strength and encouragement? Our friends, lovingly, do we turn to other things? Is God's word enough? Are the promises that God made big enough for us to trust enough to stand in faith with him? Or in those moments where we endure opposition or hardship, do we turn a little bit of God and a whole lot of the world? Or a little bit of God and a whole lot of ourselves? Friends, I want to just ask a simple heart check of all of us. When we face opposition for our faith in Christ, do we continue to honor his word and the promise that, is, that he's made to us? Or do we begin to doubt? Do we begin to question? Do we begin to look for other things? Do we begin to look to the world for answers rather than the scriptures? Or do we stand on the promises that God has made? Friends, this morning we've looked and we've asked a question, why does God delay when my faith opposition for my uh, faith in Christ? And I think that through this we see that God often delays his timing and allows us to endure opposition to increase our faith. But we've also seen that when God moves, he moves clearly and concretely as he demonstrates his faithfulness to us. And as God's people, we can prosper through the encouragement, correction, and conviction of his word. God wants us to remember that we can rely upon him 100% for the promise that, it is, that he has made to us. God wants us to celebrate with joy 
when he overcomes the obstacles due to our faithfulness in him. God wants us to continue to honor his word and the promises that he has made to us. Summatively, this is what I'd like to leave you with, that God often delays his timing when we face opposition to increase our faith and then celebrate with joy as we are encouraged, corrected, and convicted by his word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the text of Ezra. We thank you for the blessing that is there. We also thank you for the hardship that we see that God's people enduring. But we also thank you for how you answer your promises in the time, in the way, in the manner that you have chosen. And with that, Lord, I pray that whatever we might be going through, whatever opposition we may be facing now, whatever opposition we may face in the future, that we would look back to this text and that it would remind us indeed that perhaps we're facing opposition because we've chosen to be faithful to you. But also, Lord, as we choose to be faithful to you and we face opposition, may that not discourage us. May we recognize that often, as we see, when we're faithful to you, the enemy is right behind, trying to distort, discourage, or disrupt what it is that you are doing. And so in that, Lord, embolden us and give us faith to continue plowing the soil for your kingdom. Reminding us indeed that what you have said you will do, what you have promised you will complete. And so, Lord, as the world bends and flows, twists and turns, goes up and down, backwards and forwards, may we realize that you are advancing your kingdom for your name's sake. You are moving forward. And Lord, as you have said, as you have promised, that at your time, when you deem appropriate, you will tell your son, go and collect your bride. Father, may we be reminded of that joyous wedding feast when the bride, the church, is reunited with our Savior. We are part of your kingdom forever. May that bring joy to our hearts as we go out and tell other people about the good news, the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We love you. We pray all of these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say,